Hi, party people. It's uh, episode 61, and I'm recording in some place that's a lot different than I usually do, so I guess we'll see how this audio turns out. We're skipping the intro this week just because I don't think it sounds all that good anymore. Um, There's some, like, weird reverb, and I need to get, like, a microphone and all that. I know. I'm aware. (laughs) Um, Anywho, though, we made it through another week. It's a win. I'm trying to get this episode out because, I mean just the way this week is going to go. And it's just, we'll talk about it. So I had to pick a slightly shorter crime this week uh, just because I have so many things going on. And I feel like I say this every week, probably because I do, but I just feel like I'm getting beat up (laughs) from all sides. And like this weekend, I'm hosting a 1920s murder mystery party. And even though it kind of started out as like a silly little like idea to add on to, I'm having a bunch of people out this weekend. It started off as like a oh yeah come out we'll do this little fun thing it's actually become like the entire focal point of like people coming out and i'm really excited and it's really involved and i'm, I'm here for it um however backstory so my husband and i with the help of my dad built a home and we built it uh, all from the ground up we live in it now and it was literally done all by ourselves we did everything and i say we very loosely because i was mostly just an assistant um, but we still built our house and it was livable and done about a year ago, but there's still a bunch of like little cosmetic things that need to be done, like finishing up the trim, putting on closet doors, hanging up shelves and pictures and stuff. And we're, we're trying to get that done this week too, <laughs> before Saturday, um, on top of the cleaning a house and the party planning and the full-time jobs and grad school and classes and homework and raising a puppy. Like I'm trying to get all this done. Um, it's all coming together though. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, hopefully like the rest of the month is just relaxing and cool and fun, right? That's not how it's going to happen. So I picked who we're talking about today solely based on his appearance. Um, I think I had to mention, I had to pick a, a quick, not quick, but like a slightly shorter crime this week, just because I know I don't have a whole lot of time to really spend hours and hours and hours researching. Luckily next semester, I only have one class instead of two, and I'm hoping that'll really just bring my like anxiety levels down just a, a smidge. Um, but I picked this, picked today's crime solely based on this guy's appearance. Like the picture that I saw, I was like, yes, this is the guy I want to know more about. And then I felt maybe like a little bad for like making fun of his appearance, even though I wasn't like making fun of his appearance, but I did. I wasn't very nice in my brain. My brain didn't say very nice things. And I was like, that's not really a nice thing to do. But then I do remember that this guy killed people. And so now I don't feel so bad. Um, He's weird looking. I'll just put it out there. Um, But then when reading about this guy, right, like once you get past the um, the visual assault that some of these pictures have, like I can't tell if he just always looked like that or if it's just like one really bad picture. Because in other pictures, he looks kind of like regular. Um, But... when you read more about this guy, there's like fictional books and well, nonfiction books, I guess, and plays about him. And I see why, because this guy's a fucking maniac. Like, there's no better way around to, like, to put it. So today we're going to be talking about the Banner Cross killer, Charles Frederick Peace. So Charles Peace was born on May 14th, 1832 in Darnell, Sheffield, which is like smack dab right in the middle of the UK. Um, I don't know much about the UK, so it's kind of by Manchester, by Leeds. It's all on the other side of the pond. I live in the United States. I live in Ohio, you know. <laughs> Have somebody from the UK point out Ohio and we'll, we're even, okay? It's, it's, I don't expect them to know about our country and I don't really know about theirs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so his parents were John Peace, a shoemaker, and Jane Peace, a naval surgeon's daughter. And John and Jane Peace sound like a fake couple's name. I don't know if I believe those names are real. 
And maybe that's just me. But John Pease has a crazy backstory too. He started off as a coal miner, but then he lost his leg in a terrible accident. So he's like, man, I can't be a coal miner anymore. But you know what his next career path is? He becomes a tamer of wild animals for Wombwell's Wild Beast Show, which I love. I mean, quite the career change. I'm going to tame wild animals. And apparently he had a strong reputation for this skill set and did a pretty all right job for himself. So he's like really good at taming like lions and stuff, which I mean is a really cool occupation to have, I think. I, I don't know if I would want to do that. So, uh, bup, bup, Around this time, though, he marries Jane, and although I don't know how many total children John and Jane had, I do know that John had a favorite son. So I think they had three because you got the favorite son, a sister, and then Charles. I do know that. Sorry, there's a train in the background. Um, he had taught the son, that favorite son, how to tame wild beasts as well. And that son, unfortunately, for some reason, passed away, and then John gave up on the lion taming and decided to be a shoemaker live your best life so then on in may of 1832 charles joins the gang and the youngest and final child so charles to my knowledge had a regular childhood he attended two different schools and then became an apprentice in 1846 though at age uh 14 charles was employed at a rolling mill facility I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but he was working there, and Charles suffers a workplace accident, and I thought, oh, that explains um, his appearance, but it doesn't, and I almost felt mean again, but then I don't, because he kills people. Let's just keep on track (laughs) that he does. He kills people, but the workplace accident was a piece of red-hot steel entering his leg just below the knee. They didn't have, you know, like OSHA or workplace safety back then, so it's probably completely unavoidable but it wasn't because it was the 1800s also how wild that both father and son suffered crippled crippling leg injuries at work and charles doesn't lose his leg but spends 18 months in the infirmary and then he's crippled for life but you'll find out he's not actually like all that crippled unfortunately uh shortly after he gets out of the hospital john peace his dad passes away And not much is known about Charles from, like, 1847 to 1854, but he does commit a bunch of petty crimes. I saw it mentioned in one article that he was called a cat burglar, and I, for some reason, didn't really know what that meant. And I guess, honestly, I kind of thought those people stole, like, expensive cats, like Prussian blues or something. But that is most definitely not the case. They're basically burgers that... Burgers? burglars that can steal from like hard to steal places or like they have to climb in windows or something to get what they're trying to steal cat like you know <clears throat> i can assure you that's not what i thought that meant so apparently the first thing old charlie stole allegedly was an old man's gold watch and from there the story goes is like he became a full-blown burglar like he took the watch and he's like yes i'm gonna be a burglar now on October 26th, in 1851, he broke into a lady's home. But not like how we use the term lady today. This was like a high society woman. Some of her stolen property was found in the possession of Charles. He was arrested for the crime, but his former employer, I'm assuming it was the steel rolling factory, and they might have felt bad because of his horrific workplace accident, but they provided a glowing character review or character reference for Charlie. So he only spent a month in prison which is fine. Like, stealing stuff is bad, but it's more or less harmless, you know? I mean, well, you'll see where this is going, but he's, I don't know. Stealing, in my brain, stealing is on a different level than, like, murdering people, right? Like, they're crimes and they're bad, but, like, it's, 
you just took something from somebody that wasn't yours. Obviously, you shouldn't do it. It's bad, but it's also like you didn't kill somebody. You just stole a watch or something. I don't know. There's different levels of crime, I feel, in my opinion. So, and I'm going to make a reference. Stealing stuff is bad, yes, but no one should go to jail for life because they stole bread, you know? Well, if you know, you know. After he gets out of prison, he apparently devotes his life to music. And these peace men really just change up their entire trajectories when they hit any amount of hardship, right? Miner to animal tamer to shoemaker, steamroller to thief to musician. I love it, though. Reinvent yourself. When the going gets tough, become someone else. She taught, or she, who are we talking about? He (laughs) taught himself to play songs on a violin that only had one string, which I don't know if that was on purpose or by situation. I'm not entirely sure. But people would come to like he put on little shows and people called him the modern Paganini. And which of course I had to look that up because I don't know who Paganini is. But I can tell you who he is because he was Niccolo Paganini was an Italian violinist and composer. And he died in 1840. He was a traveling virtuoso and composed a lot of famous music. And that's all I have on him. But so they called him that. He was so good at playing his one stringed violin that people came to see his shows. Interesting. In 1854, though, a bunch of wealthy residents in and out of Sheffield area had been burglarized. Uh, Charlie had a female friend who was, quote, keeping him company. (laughs) His sister, Marianne Neal, and Charlie were all arrested um, because of these burglars, burglarizations. And on October 20th, 1854, he was sentenced to four years of penal servitude. The ladies had been sentenced to six months. Penal servitude, because I didn't know exactly what that was, is imprisonment with hard labor. Think, Les Mis. And th- there's my second Les Mis reference of the evening. The evening, it's 11 in the morning. <laughs> this is, changing up your location and like recording and doing something somewhere else is very strange. It's actually quite fun though. I'm having a good time. I feel like my whole demeanor is different because it's so bright in here and it's daytime and it's not dark, you know? Maybe this is something I should do more often. But, okay, so lame is. We're talking about lame is. Penal servitude. Um, I read into penal labor, and it can be more of a spectrum than just, like, lame is. Um, it's not always like lame is. Sometimes they're, like, less awful work situations. But considering Charlie's sister passes away shortly after her sentence, and consider, like, she's a woman, I would assume this isn't anything light or easy work. So despite his physical inabilities... And I think, like I said, we'll find out that, like, he talk about workplace injury that left him crippled for life. Like, he, this man, he's not handicapped. He's candy fucking capable, right? Like, you're going to find out, but he is a very capable person. So I don't even know if mentioning that he has a handicap at all in the beginning even makes any sense because you would not know. Anywho. So, Charlie serves his term and gets out of prison in 1858, and one of the articles I read made me laugh because he resumed his violin playing, but his main occupation was burglary. (laughs) Can can burglary be considered an occupation? Apparently in 1859, August specifically, don't know why I worded it like that, he traveled all the way to Manchester. That's a 38-mile hike for the record keepers out there, and he does this often, so remember that. On the night of the 11th, he broke into someone's home and stole, I mean, like, a lot of stuff. He hid it in a hole in the field, which police found the next day, because this man obviously reported, well, the man, I don't know, whoever lived in the house, reported all his crap missing, and then the police were like, yeah, cool, look for it, and then they go, and they find this suspicious and freshly dug hole in a field, and they're like, oh, here it is. 
they found it. So uh, they don't touch it. They actually leave it there and wait for the burglar to come back and get his wares. And at this point, I forgot to mention that Charles Peace gets married at some point. Um, She's a widow. Her name is Hannah. And I don't have an exact date for that, but I know it had to happen between this current crime and when he got out of jail in 1858. So Charles Peace doesn't come back. He, or he does, sorry. He comes back for his treasures because of course he does. He stole them. He did the hard part of getting them out of the house. He just needs to go to the field and get his treasures back. He ends up getting arrested, but attacks the police before he is subdued. He almost kills a police officer and is sentenced again to more penal servitude, this time six years. He's released in 1864 and returns back home to Sheffield. By then, he turns around and goes back to Manchester. And this time, he starts a picture framing business. Like I said, don't like who you are, just change it. You can be anyone you want to be. Charlie's in his, in his thir- he's in his early 30s at this point. He's had one life-altering injury and three, three massive career changes. He's spent 10 years in penal servitude at the end of this, and he's spending a lot of time and energy burgling, burglaring, and if he can do it, so can you. I think the way it plays out, they, uh, he heads to Sheffield to do this picture-framing business and is pretty successful. Um, and well, it doesn't, it obviously can't be that successful because in 1866, he gets caught burglaring again. He admits when arrested that he was fuddled with whiskey. Otherwise he would put up more of a fight on December 3rd, 1866. He's given eight years of penal servitude and really he just needs to get better at burglaring, you know, (laughs) which I know burglaring isn't a word. I just really enjoy it. Either he needs to get better at burglaring or he needs to stop doing it because he's not really that great at it. At this point, he's going to serve 18 years of penal servitude. Like, buddy, that's just so much of your life and you're not learning any lessons. Either get better at the burglaring or stop doing it. During his sentence, he tried to escape from prison. He had been entrusted with repair work and he smuggled a small ladder into his cell. He made a saw out of tin and cut a hole through the ceiling of his cell and was literally about to climb through when a guard walked in. Peace knocked him down, ran along the wall of the prison, and fell off on the inside, owing to the looseness of the bricks, and slipped into the governor's house where he changed clothes, and there, for an hour and a half, waited for an opportunity to escape. And I would like to remind you, in case you forgot, that this guy, according to history, is crippled. He is definitely not. He's scaling buildings. He's scaling buildings. I get lightheaded from standing up too fast, right? He's scaling buildings and he's in his 30s he's in his 30s just put that in perspective for everybody who's like i'm too old no you're not no you're not because this guy he's doing it anywho he gets recaptured in the governor's bedroom um he waited in there and they just caught him so nice job like i said he should just get better at this he was sent to at least three different prisons before he was released and i guess at one of those prisons he tried to take part in a mutiny and got flogged for it it seems like maybe this penal servitude served charles Wright. He and his wife had kids whom uh, they all attended Sunday school. I guess Charles never goes to church himself, but he did say that he firmly believed in God and hell and didn't fear either of them, and it wouldn't restrain him from being a burglar. Charles Peace goes off the radar here for a little bit in our story. I do know that he goes overseas to America for work, and he returns sometime in 1873 or 1874 because he begins working at the Northeastern Railway. He gets fired from that job for not showing up to work, so he moves back to Sheffield. During all these movings and jobs and all that, he meets a guy whose last name is Dyson. I was originally going to say that I don't know his first name, but I do. His name's Arthur. He uh, is a civil engineer. Peace becomes friends 
with Arthur Dyson and his wife, Mrs. Dyson, whose name is Catherine. And he first worked for them as a trademan, tradesman, but then, you know, they were real friends. Well, Charles Peace becomes obsessed with Mrs. Dyson. Uh, he says that they had an affair, but there's nothing really out there to confirm that. And it was kind of brought up in the trial. There's going to be a trial that like they were lovers and like there were letters, but people think that Charles Peace forged them and there's like a whole big thing. So I'm going to choose to believe Mrs. Dyson because Charles Peace doesn't really seem like the type of person you want to put, put a lot of like faith in and believing. So I'm assuming he just became overly obsessed with Catherine Dyson. And effectively, he starts stalking her. In June of 1876, Mr. Dyson had had enough. He threw a note in the Peace's garden, front yard for us Americans, that said, Charles, Charles Peace is requested not to interfere with my family. On July 1st, Charles saw Catherine in the street and he got in her face. Later that day, he saw her chatting with friends and openly threatened to blow out her brains and those of her husband. And after this incident, Mr. Dyson started looking into legal action against Charles Peace because clearly he's a menace. On August 1st, Charles Peace has to go to Manchester on business. On what official business, I'm not sure, but you know he's going to burgle someone. You already know it, I already know it, and he already knows it. Around midnight, he's breaking into someone's house, and he's caught. Police Constable Nicholas Cock, which is a hell of a name, intercepts Charles as he's trying to escape. During his, do, like, doing his job, obviously. Charles pulls out his revolver and warns the constable that, hey, like, don't come closer to me because I'm going to shoot you. And uh, obviously the police constable does not listen. Charles fires the gun, but deliberately fires it, like, nowhere near PC, uh, cons- PC cock <laughs> to not hit him, just to scare him away. But the PC draws out his baton, which is actually called a truncheon, which I learned today, and Charles Peace fires his gun and, f- Charles Peace fires his gun and fatally shoots PC cock. With the police officer dead in the dark of the night, Charles Peace was able to get away. Unfortunately, two brothers live nearby the house that was robbed and where P.C. Cox's body was found. John and William Habron, Habron were arrested and charged with killing Constable Cox. John was acquitted for lack of evidence, but William was sentenced to death, which was later turned into penal servitude for life, all for a crime he didn't commit. The kicker, Charles Peace attended William's trial to make sure he wasn't a suspect before returning back home. In October, after having more than enough time around Charles Peace, the Dysons move away. They move to a completely different suburb called Banner Cross, and the Dysons open an eating shop, like an unofficial restaurant, which Catherine runs. On the first day at their new house, guess who Catherine Dyson sees? You bet. He approaches her and says, you see me, I'm here to annoy you, and I'll annoy you wherever you go. On November 29th, a little after 8 p.m., Charles saw Catherine Dyson coming out of her back door and heading to an outhouse. He waited for her, and when she came out, he confronted her with a revolver, saying, Speak, or I'll fire. Catherine went back into the outhouse and barred herself in there. Arthur Dyson, sensing a commotion, comes out to investigate. Charles zoops down an alleyway, but Arthur Dyson follows him. Charles shoots once, but doesn't hit Arthur, who is unfazed and is still pursuing him. Like the last time, Charles shoots again, this time fatally hitting Arthur Dyson through his temple. Catherine had heard the first gunshot and exited the outhouse. She rushed to her husband to try and help him. Peace had already headed away from the crime scene, but Catherine began screaming, Murder, you villain, you've shot my husband. I don't know why I'm losing my voice. Um, But she screamed that. He crossed the road, climbed a wall, and made his way back home. He then walked to a railway station, bought several tickets, and then, like, did this whole plan of, like, getting off the train and having the train go somewhere else, and it's a whole big thing, but he had tried to attempt, like, avoiding capture. Like, he was trying to send the police on a a wrong, 
I don't know, like a, what do you want to call it? A distraction. Arthur Dyson would pass two hours after his injuries. After the assault, there was an immediate hue and cry. And I had to look that up because it's another fun term that I didn't know what it meant. But hue and cry is basically when bystanders are summoned to assist with the locating of a criminal who was last seen committing a crime. Like someone yelling, get him! And a mob of people rushing and trying to capture the criminal. Kind of like how Richard Ramirez was caught. At least, that's my interpretation of it. But there's a price of 100 pounds for Charles Peace's head. In today's money, that's like 1,600 pounds, give or take. So that's like a nice chunk of money. Two detectives asked Charles' wife if he'd been lodging with her. She said that she hadn't seen him in two months, but she was just buying time. He was home, but at the time the detectives searched or asked to search, he had hidden away and was undetected. Police issued an inaccurate description that had to be altered. Here's the original issuing. Charles Peace wanted for murder on the night of the 29th. He's thin and slightly built from 55 to 60 years of age. 5 feet 4 inches or 5 feet 5 gray, nearly white hair, beard, and whiskers. He lacks use of three fingers on left hand, walks with his legs rather wide apart, speaks somewhat peculiar, peculiarly ugh, as though his tongue were too large for his mouth and is a great boaster. He's a picture frame maker. He occasionally cleans and repairs clocks and watches and sometimes deals in oleographs, engraving, and pictures. He's been in penal servitude for burglary in Manchester. He has lived in Manchester, Salford, and Liverpool, and Hull. <clears throat> Peace was changing his appearance, though. He shaved the beard he had during Arthur Dyson's murder. He dyed his hair. He started wearing glasses. He began concealing his missing finger with a prosthetic arm, which I didn't know he was missing fingers up until this point, uh, but we'll hear that in a second, and moving around the country to avoid detection. So after reading that bit, I had to go on a little, um, like a little scavenger hunt to figure out the missing finger bit, and here's a quote that I found from an article I read. Peace had lost one of his fingers. He said that it had been shot off by a man with whom he had quarreled, but it was believed to be more likely that he himself had shot it off accidentally in handling, handling one of his revolvers. It was to conceal this obvious means of identification that Peace made himself the false arm which he was in the habit of wearing. This was a gutta percha with a hole down the middle of the uh, into which he passed his arm, and at the end was a steel plate to which was fixed a hook by means of his hook, Peace could wield a fork and do other dexterous feats. During the end of 1876 and 1877, Charles is pretty much solely on the run, I'm never stopping and never staying in any place for more than a few days. On January 9th, he finds lodging in Nottingham, where he stays with a lady who buys slash owns some of his stolen goods. Here, Charles Peace meets Susan Gray, and she, by gunpoint, agrees to become his mistress. In June, he was stealing blankets and got caught, but showed his revolver and got away. This kind of encounter happened often, and despite there being signage all over the place for his capture, he seemed to get away with everything. On one occasion, the detectives came into the room where he and his mistress were in bed. After politely expressing his surprise in such a situation, one of the officers asked Peace his name. He uh, told them his name was John Ward, and he described himself as a hawker, a hawker of spectacles. He refused to get up and dress in the presence of the detectives, who were obliging enough to go downstairs and wait for his, him to come down. Uh, Charles just slipped out of the house and got away to a different part of the town and then sent a note to Susan asking her to join him, who was his mistress. Um, because he couldn't walk around as freely as he wanted to, he gives up on his normal territory and scuttles down to London. He enters his musical instrument dealer era, but he still goes out every night to burgle houses. During this time, Charles is inventing a bunch of things. Like, he's super crafty. He invented a bunch of things like a smoke helmet for firemen, an improved brush for washing railway carriages, and a form of hydraulic tank. 
But even with his busy brain and all his time inventing stuff, he still has time to burgle. On October 10th in 1878, around 2 a.m., Constable Robinson sees a light appear suddenly in a window at the back of a house. The area had recently been burglarized really heavily, so police were on high alert. Robinson went to the backyard of the house and had another officer go to the front and ring the doorbell. There was a third officer kind of near the area. Almost immediately after the doorbell rang, a man exited the house. Robinson followed him. The man turned and said, keep back or by God, I'll shoot you. Robinson came on. The man fired three shots from a revolver, all of which passed close to the officer's head, but Robinson made another rush for him and the man fired another shot. That one didn't hit him either. The constable closed with his would-be assassin and struck him in the face. Um, Apparently, Charlie, because obviously you know who this is right now, says, I'll settle you this time, and fired a fifth shot, which went through Constable Robinson's arm just above the elbow. Um, In spite of the wound, though, Robinson did not let go of Charles' piece. Um, He threw him to the ground and caught a hold of the revolver and hit him in the head with it. The other two constables came to the help of their colleague, and old Charlie Peace was caught. <clears throat> it took him over a week to admit who he was, um, and even then, he didn't give his real name. He kept saying that he was, uh, well, I think it was John Ward. He never at any point in time tells him who he really is. He was upset that his home had been broken apart after he got caught because I think both his mistress, his mistress had told the real wife, I'm not really sure how that worked out, but they both packed up their lives and moved to different areas after his arrest. His his lover, willingly or not, sold Charlie Peace out, which I found this funny. Susan wanted the 100-pound reward payment for herself, so she talked to police and told them pretty much everything except for who Charles Peace really was because up to this point, he was still using the alias John Ward. She also had stolen goods in her possession, so maybe that's a reason for talking too. In February of 1879, while Charles is in prison because they know who he is now and he's awaiting his trial, Susan goes to the treasury and try to get her 100 pounds for her help, but they don't give it to her, saying that she didn't actually help because she didn't give his name and that they had to get information from somebody else. Charles Peace was put on trial on November 19, 1878 for the burglary and attempted murder of P.C. Robinson. He was sentenced to penal servitude for life for his crime. He was taken to Sheffield, though, back home to appear in the trial for the murder of Arthur Dyson. Between hearings, though, he was shuttled back and forth from Sheffield to London, where he was serving at this time. One of these trips, Charles jumped from the train and was found unconscious by the tracks. We're back to an ASMR episode. (laughs) The trial for the murder of Arthur Dyson was short. Defense had tried to say that Arthur had attacked Charles and Charles only acted in self-defense, but there were too many people who had known about the previous altercations. I mean, I don't know what you would call that, but people had seen him near the scene of the crime, and he had also, mostly publicly, on several occasions, mentioned he would like to shoot the Dysons, and people testified that. It took the jury 10 minutes to come back with a guilty verdict. With the sentence, Charles was asked if he'd like to say anything. He chose, it is no use my saying anything. He was sentenced to death to be carried out on February 25th. After the outcome of the trial, Charles Peace made a full confession of the murder of Constable Cock in order to exonerate William Habron, who was pardoned and given 800 pounds to compensate, which is 131,000 pounds in today's money, which I'm happy he did, even though he didn't have to. On the day before the execution, his entire family visited. They prayed together. On the morning of, he ate a hearty breakfast of bacon and eggs. Before being executed, Charles said, Sir, if I believed what you and the Church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living, just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Charles Peace 
was 46 years old at the time of his execution. He is currently buried in Armley Gull. He has got several films made about him, a feature in Madame Tussauds London, and a bunch of books written about him. If you'd like to know more, uh, there's definitely a lot of literature you can consume about this guy. Um, unfortunately, like I said, this one had to be kind of quick and kind of, you know, like <laughs> just efficient. Um, so there's probably a bunch of interesting things in there that I've cut out that maybe um, if you wanted to spend a whole time like reading a book or watching a play about it, you could definitely look into more. But with that, this was episode 61. We've done it. We've made, we've made it over the hump. And with that, I hope to see you guys next week, hopefully with a much more um, leisurely experience. <laughs> I'll see you guys later.